Let's ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to spend all of these months in John's Gospel, for the opportunity to hear of the great news of who Jesus is and what he has done. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you continue to work in us by your spirit today, that we can understand this last chapter and put into practice what we read. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife, Carmelina, is into running. She runs numerous kilometres every week. And she's very, very interested in running. Uh, So much so that she even reads running magazines. The idea of a running magazine does nothing at all for me. Put one foot in front of the other. I don't know how you can fill a magazine with, the, uh, with anything about running. Uh, but, but like many men, I do, have, I do need to have uh, something to read in the bathroom. And so occasionally I find myself reading a running magazine. And it was while reading a running magazine a few years ago that I came across my all-time favourite sermon illustration. It's an advertisement for a marathon uh, in the country of New Zealand, the city of Christchurch. And here's the advertisement. It says, the Christchurch Marathon, 30th anniversary, medal for every finisher. It's the perfect illustration. Because the Christian life, life in Christ's church, it is a marathon, isn't it? Uh, Some of us have been running for many decades in the Christchurch Marathon. And there will be a medal, a prize for every finisher. As the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Thanks, brother. The Christchurch Marathon, a medal for every finisher. Come on, surely a preacher must have written that. (laughs) It's too perfect to be an accident, the all-time greatest sermon illustration. But the question for you and me is this. Will we keep running to the very end? Will we finish the Christchurch Marathon? Will we get our medal on that final day? I've been here at this church now since the beginning of 1999, so nearly 19 years, and in that time I'm very sad to say that I can name for you tens of people who have given up. They seemed to be running the race. They, they professed Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. They were here with us in church, but for one reason or another, they stopped running. And if you ask them today, they'll tell you they're not a Christian. You know, it could happen to any of us. None of us are immune. That There are so many obstacles in our path, so many uh, tragedies, so, so, uh, so many things that could stop us making it to the end. I mean, who knows what what temptations lie before us, who knows what tragedies or or troubles or persecutions lie in front of us. So what do you reckon? Do you think you can make it to the end? Will you be there at the end of the Christchurch Marathon, medal around your neck? Will you trust Jesus all the way for all of your life? Think very carefully about the answer because the Bible says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Well, there is one marathon that we've come to the end of, and that is our studies in John's Gospel. Uh, We started back on the 29th of January, 
It's been pretty much the whole year. Who would have thought that a year could go so fast? Uh, can, can, you remember, can you remember the broad outline of John's Gospel? So chapters 1 to 12, remember chapters 1 to 12? It's the seven signs, the seven miracles that Jesus did. You know, water into wine, all that kind of stuff, showing us who Jesus is. And you remember also from those first 12 chapters that despite all the signs, Jesus is mostly rejected by his own people. Our next section was chapters 13 to 17, was the Last Supper. We listened as Jesus taught his disciples and prepared them for his leaving. And then finally, chapters 18 to 20, we saw the arrest, the trial, the execution, the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus. And then in the very last verse that we read last week, uh, John told us the reason why he's written. Have a look at me again, John chapter 20 and verse 30. John said, chapter 20 and verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. To me, that seems like the end. Don't you reckon? That sounds like, you know, signed off, the end. Up come the credits. It seems like a good place for John to end his book. Jesus is alive. Now we know why he's written. We know what we need to do. Believe in Jesus as our king. But that's not where, Jesus end, uh, not where John ends. Uh, John has one more story to tell us. It's a story about Jesus and Peter. Now, you, you may remember what's happened with Peter. Peter had followed Jesus for some three years as his disciple. And Peter was confident. He was confident that he was going to make it to the end. Chapter 13, Peter assured Jesus. He said, I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus answered, will you... Really down, lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jesus said that Peter would, would disown him, and that is exactly what happened. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him to the high priest's house. He looked on as Jesus was unjustly tried. But then three times people approached Peter and they said, Weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Three times he denied it. And then the rooster began to crow. It's not looking good for Peter's marathon. It, it looks like he's fallen over. And that brings us now to our last chapter. Uh, the disciples head back up to uh, Galilee. We know from Matthew's Gospel that that's what Jesus, uh, something Jesus told them to do. Uh, there in Galilee, Peter decides to go fishing. And five other disciples join him. Ch- John chapter 21 and verse 1. Have a look with me. John chapter 21 and verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they head off in their boat. They fish for the whole night, but they catch nothing. But then the risen Jesus appears on the shore. He tells them, Put your nets out on the other side of the boat and suddenly, miraculously, they catch heaps and heaps of fish. By the way, does that, does that ring, ring, ring any bells for you? From the other Gospels? Admittedly, it's not in John's Gospel. But that's ex- pretty much exactly the same miracle de- uh, that, that Jesus did way back at the beginning. Do you remember? At the time when he called Peter and also John to be his disciples in the first place. When he, when he called them to be, do you remember what, what he called them to be? After the fishing miracle, he called them to be fishers of men. Do you remember that? 
Well, Jesus now does the same miracle that he did when he first called Peter. Halfway through verse 3. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. John recognises that it's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water, swims ashore to meet him and John and the other disciples head to shore on the boat. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, but they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And, And then when they get to shore, there's this scene this strange scene which is this it's a mixture of of something very ordinary and something very extraordinary at the same time so jesus is there on the shore he's got a fire going and he invites them come and have some breakfast with me some fish and some bread so kind of ordinary breakfast on the beach but yet how often have you eaten breakfast with a bloke who's been raised from the dead How often have you had 153 miraculously caught fish to choose from for breakfast? It's thoroughly extraordinary at the same time as it's so kind of ordinary. Verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, Jesus has done it again. He's miraculously enabled Peter to catch lots of fish. Now, last time Jesus did a miracle like this, he called on Peter, come, follow me, be a fisher of men. But there's a fair bit of water under the bridge since then, isn't there? And Peter must be feeling it. Can you imagine how Peter's feeling here now after his three denials? He must be worried about how things are between him and Jesus, where where things stand now. That's why I reckon this next scene is so precious. After breakfast, Jesus takes Peter aside and and talks to him. And and three times, he asks if Peter loves him. Why three times? Well, it's because he's giving Peter the opportunity to kind of undo what he's done. He's giving Peter the opportunity to to not deny him three times. The opportunity to, to, to three times declare his love and commitment. And that's what Peter does. Three times he affirms that he does love Jesus... And three times, Jesus Jesus gives Peter a job to do. He asks Peter to look after his people. Verse 15. (coughs) When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, 
feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter's feelings might be a bit hurt here, but actually this is just incredibly kind of Jesus, isn't it? So forgiving, so gracious. Jesus owes Peter nothing. Peter denied him three times, let Jesus down at his moment of deepest need. Uh, Peter is what my children would call an epic failure. And yet here is Jesus willing to, to forgive and to restore, willing to even use an epic failure like Peter. Good news. But as Peter continues, we see it's not going to be smooth. But as, as Jesus continues, we see it's not going to be smooth sailing for Peter. Uh, Jesus tells Peter exactly what it's going to mean to follow him. It's going to mean death. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter will die for his faith in Jesus. So what should he do? The same thing Jesus said to do in the very first place, all all those years before. Peter should follow Jesus. Still in verse 19, then he said to him, follow me. Now that's actually a pretty big ask. Don't you reckon? Follow me and get killed for it. It's a pretty big thing to ask somebody to do. And at this point, Peter turns and he sees that John is listening in. And he says to Jesus, well, what's going to happen to him? I guess he's thinking, is he going to have to die as well? Is he going to suffer like me? Is he going to be with me in this? Verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? But Jesus says it's none of Peter's business. It's irrelevant what's going to happen to John. Peter needs to follow Jesus no matter what. Jesus has forgiven Peter, restored Peter, showed extraordinary grace towards Peter. Peter has assured Jesus of his love. He's been commissioned now, and now he's got to follow, regardless of what happens to anybody else, regardless of what John or anybody else does, Peter must follow it. It's like that song. Do you know the song? Though none go with me, yet will I follow. No turning back, no turning back. Verse 22. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Now what Jesus says starts a bit of a rumour that John won't die. John quickly puts paid to that rumour, verse 23. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive till I return, what's that to you? 
And then John finishes off by telling us what he's done in his following of Jesus. He hasn't had to die like Peter, but what he has done is write this book for us. Uh, This book that tells the story of Jesus. Not the whole story, of course, it's way more than he could write, but, but enough of the story to enable us to put our trust in Jesus and be saved. Verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. All right. Well, can you see what's here then in this last chapter of John? Jesus restores Peter. Uh, for, For each time that Peter denied him, Jesus gets him to reaffirm his love. Jesus commissions Peter to serve his people, tells him what it's going to mean. It's going to mean death. Peter says, what about John? Jesus says, don't, don't you worry about John. You just, you just follow me to the very end. Now, friends, if I can, if I can put, put it in one sentence, here's what this last chapter of John is about. Jesus is equipping Peter to run the marathon. Do you see that? He's, he's equipping Peter to be able to serve him to the very end I gotta say I, I love this last chapter of John if it had been me I would have finished at the end of chapter 20 but this is just beautiful he, he, John could have finished with that call to believe in Jesus have life in his name but instead he finishes here with Jesus graciously restoring the epic failure Peter with, with Jesus giving an epic failure Peter what he needs to make it to the end I reckon it's a beautiful ending if you are like me, if you, like Peter, are an epic fail. Great ending. I reckon it's good news for people like me, and I take it you, because because we are failures, and like Peter, we are called to follow Jesus to the very end. Called to join in the marathon. I reckon there are a couple of really valuable things here for us to learn. Two things, I reckon, really valuable to help us keep running in our marathon. First thing to remember is this. It's all about grace. The only reason we're even in the race is because of Jesus' sheer grace. When I was 14 years old, I was was very, very keen on touch football. I love touch football. And I used to live around the corner from an oval called Kingsdown Oval. And on Saturday afternoons, there were a group of men, I guess they were young men, probably in their early 20s or something, and they used to have a big game of touch football. For weeks and weeks, I used to, as a 14-year-old, just um, look longingly, you know, longing to play with them. And then the glorious day came. Uh, I worked up the courage. I asked them if I could play. I was this little skinny boy, but, but they graciously said yes. I tell you what, I thought it was just magnificent to, to, to play with these grown-ups, with these adults. From then on, I played every week that I could. And, and you know what? It didn't matter what they asked me to do. Set up the goals, clean their shoes, get, get them a drink. I, I, whatever it was, I thought it was fantastic. I, I felt so privileged to just be able to be part of the game. Do you know that feeling? 
I reckon younger siblings have the feeling as well. I, I'm an older sibling, so I just feel resentful about my brother joining me uh, in anything when we were kids. But, but I don't know if you're a young, younger sibling, you might get this. You, you, your older sibling is going out with their friends and you get to go along and you just feel, whoa, I get to be with my older sibling. Uh, do you know the feeling I'm talking about? Have, have you ever had that kind of feeling where, where you're so thankful to even be there that you're happy to do anything? Friends, is that how you feel about serving Jesus? Should be, shouldn't it? Because like Peter, we are epic failures. We we are sinners who have never loved Jesus as he deserves. The only reason we can have anything to do with Jesus is because of his sheer grace. The only reason we're in the race is because he's been so kind and forgiving. And, And the fact that he would then allow us to 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 not just be part of his people, but to join with him in doing his work in this world, whoa, that should just blow our minds. We should be so thrilled about that. We ought to be like puppy dogs, just falling over ourselves in our desperation to please our master. But as time goes by, as we serve Jesus for year after year, we, we can start to forget this, can't we? start to forget the context. We can start to think, look, we can start to even think that we're doing God some kind of a favour by serving. We can even start to maybe even resent serving Jesus. Is that your experience? I mean, we live such busy lives, don't we? There's so much to do. It's hard to squeeze in being a Christian. It can just Serving Jesus can feel like one more burden in an already overburdened week, one more thing that, that keeps us from, 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 from resting or doing stuff that, that, that's fun. Do you know what I reckon? That this is something that has caused many people to fall away. They've lost the, the sense of thrill, of privilege that we can even be in this marathon in the first place. They've started to lose their wonder at the privilege of being saved. It's become a burden to serve Jesus. And so with other things flashing in life, they've just drifted away. So friends, here's part of what we need to keep going. We need to realise that we're, we're in the marathon by sheer grace, like Peter here in John 21, it's incredibly kind that Jesus would allow us to serve him at all. Second thing to remember, second and final thing to remember is this. We've got to keep our eyes ahead. We've got to avoid looking around and comparing ourselves with other people. Again, it's so easy to do this. Just just think about Peter here. Jesus says, you're going to serve me by suffering a violent, excruciatingly painful death. Uh, As it turns out, apparently, Peter was crucified. Crucified upside down, if tradition is correct. Uh, Peter, you're going to serve me by being nailed upside down to a cross and dying. And John, you're going to serve me by writing a book. I've never written a book. And I imagine it's not the easiest thing to do. But I know which I would rather do for Jesus. Uh, Crucifixion or write a book. Pass me the pen. (laughs) If Peter had compared himself with John, it would not have helped him. 
in his race. It, it might have made him feel all superior. Well, I get to suffer an excruciating death for Jesus. You, <laughs> just write a book. He <laughs> might have felt all superior. Or, or, or on the other hand, it might have made him feel ripped off, like, like he was getting a bad deal. How come you get to write a book? Well, I have to be crucified. I mean, either way, it's not going to help him run the race to the very end. So what does Jesus say to Peter? Don't worry about John. You just fix your eyes on following me. Friends, it's good advice for us too. We need to avoid comparing ourselves with other people. We need to avoid being jealous of other people in their successes when they have the things that we want. We need to avoid feeling superior to other people in, in their failures. Comparing ourselves with other people will not help us. Again, I've seen this lead to people falling away. As they've looked around, people feel like, you know, I've been serving and nobody else is with me. They get all resentful or they feel like they've got a raw deal. I've served Jesus and, and I'm not getting the stuff that I want in life. Some people have given up. But what Jesus chooses to do with other people, it's none of our concern. Our job, fix our eyes ahead, follow no matter what. Do you see the point? Friends, Jesus graciously calls us to follow him to the end. We don't know what's in store. Could be lovely stuff. Could be lots of pain, lots of temptation. But whatever it is, let's learn from Peter here. Let, let's, let's, let's be thrilled to be in the race at all. And let's fix our eyes ahead. Run the Christchurch Marathon where every finisher gets a medal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you would be so gracious as to forgive and accept sinners like us. We thank you that you would be so gracious as to even ask us to serve you, to partner you in your work in this world. Lord, it's an extraordinary privilege. We're sorry that we so take it for granted or even think that it's some kind of a burden or something like that. Heavenly Father, do please uh, thrill us anew with your magnificent grace towards us. Help us to, like Peter, really love you and want to serve you to the very end. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name.